This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Welcome back to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Brought to you with a Jazz FM Business Breakfast and available on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Johnny Hart. Each week, we review the stories that made the business and market headlines. That's enough. Put down the mic. CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. You are a rude, terrible person. You shouldn't be working for CNN. We had to close 100 stores. We believe a third of our business will be online in the future. More than 20% of our business went online in the first half of this year. These are difficult decisions. Business investment is down. We would have preferred to see business investment higher than it is. And I'm confident that once we've resolved the Brexit issue, business has a clear picture of what our future relationship with the EU will look like, that that business investment will come back in spades. And today, once again, we're joined by our regular commentator, Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham in London. Hi there, Craig. Good afternoon. And for the first time, live from New York, sounds like Ed Sullivan, doesn't it? It's Oanda Market Analyst Ed Moyer. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Johnny. You're obviously far too young to know who Ed Sullivan is. But, um, <laughs> he was big in the 60s. Craig, market moment of the week. Well, ordinarily, I'd love to take this one, but given the topic that's going to be at hand and given the fact that we're sat here with an analyst over in the Big Apple itself, let's head, uh, head over to Ed uh, and see what his thoughts are. I'm assuming what Craig is alluding to, Ed, is those uh, midterm election results. We just heard earlier on in the montage President Trump spat with CNN's Jim Acosta, which came after those elections, and managed to take most of the headlines. How did markets react to the results? Wasn't a bad night for either side, more of a score draw, perhaps? Exactly. And the midterm elections yielded a relief rally. Gridlock for Congress is pretty much a welcome event. And we're going to start to see that this domestic story filter out through the rest of the globe. The aftermath of the Trump press conference steal the headlines, but the end result is that concerns as far as the lack of now the fiscal stimulus 2.0, there's going to be not as much of a, a strong catalyst for continued stronger uh, U.S. economic data. So we're starting to see analysts, we're starting to see a little bit more concerns of a softening of the data for 2019. We're going to start to see possibly a, a less hawkish fed. I think everything pretty much went as planned. And the initial takeaway is that you're starting to see, and what we have the politicians say and what is expected for the politicians to act upon is, is entirely different. House Majority Leader Pelosi is you know, supporting the idea of an infrastructure deal and uh, the president is saying it, but you know, when you take a look at you know what are the chances of a deal passing, like Goldman Goldman was saying that there's probably 25% chance that any broad infrastructure deal will be passed. Most people are not expecting much to be done uh, over the next couple of years, and it's just it's just going to be a lot of uh, political posturing for the next election. Um, so there, there's just a there's going to be a lack of a catalyst for that U.S. economy, and we're going to start to see that really uh, take place in, in the market. Craig, there was plenty of lip service from Nancy Pelosi and actually a little bit from President Trump about maybe a more bipartisan approach. Is that just lip service? Do you believe a word of it? 
it's so difficult to tell. I think there's probably aspects where they're both thinking there can be something bipartisan. I mean, uh, I know Ed's just alluded to 25% chance of an infrastructure spend, um, and that's really interesting, actually, because that's one thing where you can imagine that probably would be bipartisan uh, support for. The Democrats, uh, of course, will recognise just as much as the Republicans that infrastructure really does need to be updated in the US. And you've clearly seen a focus from Trump in the first half of his term on items that wouldn't get bipartisan support just in case of this eventuality. So we've seen the tax cuts, which really boosted the markets. We've seen um, uh, other uh, other focal points um, on healthcare, which he hasn't been too successful on um, uh, uh, prior to uh, this midterm election. I guess from a market's perspective, though, the reason for me why people have really, uh, really thought that this was the most the most ideal result was because what was left of Trump's agenda, ignoring what he said in the two weeks prior to the election, because you have to take all of this with a pinch of salt talks of 10% tax cuts for the middle class. If he was serious about that, that would have been part of the initial tax reforms. This was his his late attempt to try and buy the middle class vote. Most of what he wanted to achieve was done in the first half and the, the other aspects were not necessary uh, in, in terms of the need for to control both houses. The growth agenda, the market agenda, that was taken care of in the first couple of years. I think the biggest thing that the markets were fearing was the blue wave or the blue tsunami, as many people putting it, which would be the Democrats taking control of both houses. And the reason for that is there's no guarantee that this would have happened, but the prospect of Democrats uh, reversing some of these tax cuts and these tax reforms... It wouldn't be unheard of, especially from a corporate perspective. And when you're looking at markets, which even after a correction were 30-40% up since Donald Trump's election victory, it's quite safe to think that people are a bit worried about this. And you go from 20-25% earnings growth year on year in the first three quarters of this year. And I think the next few years would have been a lot worse if we did see these cut tax cuts took tax cuts reversed. So I think from many people's perspective, that was a bit of a bullet dodged. We, we should have a nod as well to the uh, incident, uh, well, not the incident, to the firing of Attorney General Jeff uh, Sessions by uh, President Trump. And uh, Democrats are saying uh, that could affect the US inquiry into alleged uh, Russian meddling during the 2016 election, could indeed affect the chances of impeaching the president. Do markets have an opinion on that, Ed? Very much so. And and just to give a little bit of background on Whitaker, who's temporarily taking over as AG, uh, he's someone who's been extremely critical of the special counsel. Uh, he even did mention that um, if Sessions was replaced, that the new AG could reduce the budget and grind Mueller's investigation to a halt. So the the just yesterday, um, just leaving the office, there was uh, rallies already just uh, protesting this in, in New York City. So there, there, there's, a, there's a, a big concern as far as uh, what the possible ways that Trump allies could try to um, and, and put, put delay or, or put a, a wrinkle into uh, Mueller's investigation. And then ultimately, too, we are waiting to hear uh, back from the president, he's supposed to answer Mueller's questions uh, possibly by the end of the month. So we're this has been drawn out for uh, several over eighteen months, and now we're we're getting closer to that point. Um, but the the investigation will come out. But the general consensus is that um, uh, Trump will remain president. Uh, that Trump will, uh, unless it's it's a terrible report there's unlikely going to be any major uh developments on that front okay let's turn to that decision from the fed 
on Thursday not to raise rates. Not particularly a surprise. The US economy growing at 3.5% in the third quarter. Craig, how did UK markets react to that in response? Well, it was quite interesting because we, we look at that announcement and we look at the fact that the statement was barely changed. There was the odd word that had been slightly updated, but the statement was hardly changed. Now, there's two schools of thought here. There was the one that you could see that the markets may have been hoping to uh, for the Fed to slightly ease its hawkish position. Uh, I don't think it's going to allude to chain differences in the interest rate outlook per se, but just it's amazing what the odd word change can actually do from markets perspective so i think people were kind of hoping that that would be the case ultimately we've just seen a a stock market sell-off over the last month which saw the dow and the s p get hit by 10 percent and that was initially triggered it seems quite clear now that by jay powell's comments about interest rates not being close to the neutral rate and they could go actually into restrictive territory So there was hope, I think, that we would see a slightly less hawkish statement. And in fact, it was exactly the same. And that doesn't surprise me because this is the other school of thought. This this wasn't a live meeting. Next year, every meeting will effectively be live because they're going to have a press conference alongside every interest rate decision. That's not currently the case. So the November decision, not only did it not bring new economic projections, it didn't bring a press conference either. And if the Fed's really going to change its uh, stance, uh, even marginally, if the Fed's going to change it, it's going to wait for a meeting when they can explain themselves after it and justify it with new economic projections. Had they acted at this meeting, they'd have been reacting off a three-week three sell-off that shook the markets briefly. Markets had stabilised for the last week. It would have been a bit of a knee-jerk reaction, and you don't expect that from the central bank. I think if they are going to change it, anything they're going to give it another six weeks now until the next meeting see how markets do if they stabilize and gain and we don't see any more stress then i think they'll then i think they'll carry on with the same policy that they were seeing before if we continue to see destabilization i think we'll see one more rate hike in december and then they'll start to uh, alter the language slightly that three and a half percent annual rate in the third quarter ed well above the roughly two percent rate many economists in the fed believe is the underlying trend at risk to the economic outlook appear to be Uh, roughly balanced with uh, inflation remaining near its uh, 2% target, unemployment uh, continuing to fall. It's now the lowest in 48 years, just 3.7% and wages are rising. So things look pretty rosy, don't they? The data is amazing. And the the data warrants these hikes. And the, the concern, though, is the outlook going forward. And uh, ultimately, we are looking for a slightly softer outlook for 2019. We're not we're as as you know as we mentioned before. Congress is gridlocked, and as far as uh, look, taking a look at earnings season, we are starting to see a little bit more cautiousness out of these outlooks and, and, and some um, reduced or, or cautious concerns as far as on the trade wars and and other variables. So the the, the global economy there there's a lot of lot lots of concerns, and um, ultimately the the U.S has been extremely strong and it is close to overheating. So the the uh, cautiousness is, is likely to trickle down uh, more so in the next coming months and quarters. And, and uh, ultimately, we could possibly start to see the Fed have to um, uh, become a little slightly more dovish um, once we start to see softer data. I want to talk about oil. Um U.S. oil prices down to uh, just above $60. That's down more than a fifth since early October. And they're saying that's now bear market territory. Is that right? I mean, technically, yes. Sorry, Craig. Should we go? Yeah. Sorry. 
He, he was looking at me in the studio. Yeah, Very unprofessional, sorry. Johnny. Yeah, sorry about <laughs> that. Um, Craig, is that right? Yes, it is. I mean, technically, a bear market territory is when you see um, 20% taken off the previous peak. So technically, we are in bear market territory, but we have to remember that we made quite uh, incredible gains in the lead up to those previous highs. So while we are in bear market territory, we are back at what many people to be perceived to be pretty much the fair value and maybe things just got a bit overextended. It's also been very much supported by fundamental factors. So not only uh, have we seen uh, output rising from many of these uh, these OPEC plus nations, which is the partnership between OPEC and a number of non-OPEC producers, we've also seen US output rising um, over the last, uh, uh, well, really over the last few years since the uh, shale boom. But even in the last uh, six months or so on uh, one website, US production was up by half a million barrels a day. Over the last 12 months, it was up by a million barrels a day. So when we're talking about the Iranian sanctions, which is one of the things that uh, actually triggered this the this the, the the surge in oil prices people are talking about up to 1.7 million barrels a day could be lost well the us has offset more than half of that already and there's plenty of people who are very skeptical about that number who think it could be closer to 1 million then on top of that we've got the fact that the us gave waivers to eight countries with regards to these sanctions so the ultimate aim of reducing iran's the iranian oil output and uh, uh, and exports but ultimately they've given a, a san- uh, waivers to china to india to italy and uh, and many others so the impact of these sanctions in the near term at least has been uh, reduced so all of these factors seems to have driven into this for into this idea that oil prices when they got to these kind of 80 85 dollars uh, a barrel levels were just overstretched and talk of triple figure numbers was just uh, way 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 too early and then of course you got the fact that people's global growth expectations have now been paired back also Ed, would you agree with your uh, oanda colleague there uh, very much so and, and and here in the states we do focus a little bit more on wti and currently 10 days of losing. So this is the longest streak on record as of right now. And uh, cur- currently looking at taking a look at that price action in October, which Craig was highlighting, was it's so key to, to, to mention that the U.S. sanctions on Iran, that's what really drove WTI up to that 76 or Brent to the 85 region. And, and now that, you know, we at the beginning of the week when these sanctions were kicking in and then Trump gave that exemption, you know, we're well, we, we still have, for the most part, still good catalysts for stronger oil prices. And right now, there there's uh, nothing really getting in the way of this sell-off. And we, we, we've seen Saudi, Russia, and U.S. shale producers also increase their production to offset some of that lost production. And uh, taking, taking a look at the API figures, you know, they had their fifth build in as many weeks, pretty much coming in line. And, and uh, everyone right now is concerned as far as like, well, what's OPEC going to do? And then at this weekend, we do have that joint technical meeting. And then we do have the 175th ordinary meeting um, in uh, December. So everyone's waiting to see, is OPEC going to step up their game? And right now, everyone's just hitting the sell button. And uh, WTI is, you know, approaching that very critical level of 58. So right now, we're uh, closely watching here. Yeah, I think there's two key points there which you've made, which uh, I think are really important, again, as part of this. There's the fact that we have seen inventory builds, both reported by API, but also EIA. And it's the EIA number, I think, that many people read a lot more into. And it's some, it's, quite, it's like almost the ADP to the NFP. People pay some attention to the ADP, but the NFP is the one that really gets people excited or depressed. And 
both the API and the, and the EIA numbers have been very strong in terms of inventory builds over the last few weeks, which is really fed into this bearish picture. And the other thing that you uh, you, you touched on there is the uh, I think is it JMMS the uh, the committee or JMMC the committee which is um, monitoring the the current output of the OPEC plus countries uh, and trying to determine whether uh, further cuts are needed. And they do meet this weekend in Abu Dhabi and. While markets clearly aren't anticipating another uh, output cut next week, they have actually alluded to the fact that it may be necessary. The Saudi oil minister only a couple of weeks ago alluded to that, and that could be as early as next year. So I, it, it, I'm almost quite surprised that, to see the market still so bearish into this meeting. I'm not saying they're going to announce a cut now. It would probably be eyeing one for December. But even if they allude to the potential for another output cut um, in December, that would really, you'd think be bullish for prices and it's just not being in any way priced in yet stay with us ed while we look at the uk and sterling down craig on the news that the uk economy grew by 0.6 percent in the three months to september warm weather oh those halcyon days of summer boosting consumer spending according to the latest uh, office for national statistics figures the figure in line with predictions the bank of england and other forecasters so why is sterling down I think what we have to remember is the numbers were broadly uh, in line. Uh, we haven't dropped that much. There were some negatives in the data, and this didn't have an impact initially. So I think there's probably more than just the data feeding into this uh, decline in the pound today, particularly. But the numbers themselves, I, I still think, are quite interesting. For one, we saw flat growth in September. So that the third month of that third quarter, we now get monthly data as well as quarterly data, because apparently we don't have a, enough data to overly analyse uh, on a month-by-month basis. And we had that early summer boost, which came on the back of the uh, World Cup surge, the fact that everyone was getting out, enjoying the good times, going to bars, going to restaurants, enjoying watching England easily exceeds expectations. We had the the incredible weather here, which is probably a moderate summer for most countries. But in our country, we call it a heat wave because it lasted more than three days. And it got people in a good mood. It got consumer spending and we are a consumer economy. But then that obviously tapered into September because the simple fact of the matter is, for one, we can't rely on good weather here. Uh, we also uh, we also can't rely on the fact that the consumer squeeze is still very prevalent. So if we see a surge in spending for one or two months, the chances are that's going to average itself out in the longer run. And that means we see weaker consumer spending another month. So we actually saw flat growth in the third month of that third quarter. But I think the most interesting thing is that still contributed to the strongest quarterly growth since the end of 2016. Uh, and we can all remember what's driven growth down since then. Um, but we had that really strong quarter. That makes me a little bit worried about the fourth quarter and even the first quarter of next year if i'm honest the other interesting point in the data which is one of the lesser talk about figures is the fact that business investment was down by 1.9 percent year on year 1.2 percent quarter on quarter the weakest uh, growth that we've seen since again late 2016 so this is another sign here that businesses the closer we get to exit day are spending less and less and less and waiting to see what happens so that's likely to continue to depress economic growth in the fourth quarter it weighed on growth in the third quarter a little bit but i think if you want to look at it from an optimistic perspective, that means they've got money. That means they've got money in reserves. So hopefully, assuming we get a good Brexit deal, and I'm still optimistic that that's going to be the case, or at least a fudge. Let's be honest. That should mean that they've got more money to spend next year once they've got that certainty back. Once they've got something that they know they're investing in. So that could hopefully help boost economic growth next year rather than uh, hold it back this year. In a strange kind of way, a sort of Brexit 
a dividend because uh, markets have been so pessimistic for so long now. What is the US feeling now about our economy and the B word Brexit? Well, when we take a look at the UK economy compared to its other European uh, neighbors, the UK economy has been performing pretty well. There is that belief that eventually there will be some type of deal. They'll figure out this backstop or they'll have some type of temporary agreement. And uh, that, that is something that once that does happen, uh, then you know we could ultimately finally see a little bit of a relief rally for uh, Sterling. Ultimately, this Brexit stuff is just what's holding back the economy. We're looking for that level of certainty which comes from an agreement, whether it be a fudge, whether it be something significant. The chances are there's going to be as much as possible that's going to be left for the next two years to determine what kind of future relationship we're going to have. So there's always going to be an element of uncertainty as part of this. But I think think businesses are going to get some form of assurances by whatever fudge it is that we do. Uh, that we do come up with the interesting part is when is this going to happen uh, i was at a uh, i was at an event earlier this week uh, i think it was at deutsche bank and uh, they they i think they summed it up really really well they said uh, the the problem is we're used to countries uh, in these negotiations politicians coming to an agreement uh, at midnight a minute to midnight uh, because it's in their best interest to do so one of which one reason is they withdraw as much concessions from the other side as possible but the flip side as well is they don't look weak they look like they've held on for as long as they possibly can and offer concessions only when they absolutely have to so it looks like a strong negotiating stance the difference is when you're talking about the debt ceiling in the US you know when midnight is when you're talking about Greece is about to default on its debt you know when the midnight is the only thing we know about midnight is it's sometime before March 29th of next year. We don't actually know when midnight is, so we can't know when a minute, minute to midnight is. There's a lot of talk that it could that the, the agreement could come soon. And this is what I keep talking about in some of my notes, which I'm putting out of the weekend risk associated with Sterling, because it feels like it could be any weekend, it could be any weekday, when we either get confirmation of a deal, which in my view would be very bullish for Sterling, or we could get these completely surprising, shocking out of uh, out of the blue statement that suggests that talks have collapsed, which would you would imagine be very negative for sterling, and the markets are closed on the weekend. In fact, we've seen uh, this afternoon here in the UK, the DUP has accused uh, Prime Minister Theresa May of breaking promises over plans to avoid a hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland uh, post-Brexit. This is apparently a reaction to a letter leaked to the Times newspaper from Theresa May to its leader, Arlene Foster. Once again, we see a little bit of optimism abound and then suddenly something upsets the apple cart. And I'll expect quite a few more of these in the next few days before we reach this fudge uh, that I believe get, we are going to get a deal and it is going to get through uh, Parliament. Is the view from the United States that there will be a Brexit deal and no deal is out of the question? There's still a chance for no deal outcome, but majority of the US is expecting there to be a deal. And, and just to kind of you were highlighting the uh, Northern Irish uh, DUP, Sammy Wilson's comments. He, he didn't say, though, that they must bring PMA down. So there was a little bit of optimism there, if you if you want to grasp at straws there. But for the, for, for the most part, the the outlook is is still um, relatively optimistic. And when we take a look at Sterling, you know, for the for the most part this week, it is almost unchanged. It, you know, it's just gapped up to 130 and then it it almost hit 132 and we're pretty much just above that 130 level right now okay before uh we let you go uh let's have a brief look ahead to next week craig if i could start with you what are you looking forward to for the week ahead 
Yeah, I'll uh, I'll take the start of this because I forgot to give Ed the heads up that uh, we even do a week ahead section on the podcast. Although I'm sure he's heard it on previous ones, but I'll I'll, I'll cover Europe. I mean, from a European perspective, um, I think we can't get past the politics. And I know I say this every week, but it does feel like we are hitting the crunch time for Brexit talks. It could be an announcement that comes over the weekend. It could be one that comes middle of the week. But at the very least, I expect to hear a lot of reports. Now, it's been a very quiet week, which I think many people will have welcomed. And it almost gives you this inclination that some very serious talks are happening in the background rather than media spin, which is what we've become accustomed to over the last 18 months. So, Part of me really has a strong feeling that we are nearing now a point when we start to get a a clear direction as to where we're headed uh, or to how close to a deal we actually are or a fudge, as I keep saying. The other situation on this side of the pond is Italy. Now, if my maths is correct, Tuesday is the deadline by which Italy needs to resubmit its draft budget for next year, having failed to uh, appease the European Commission uh, over a a few weeks ago with its submittance uh, when it said that it was going to eye a deficit of 2.4%. It's given no no indication that it's actually going to change that. Even comments today, uh, I think it was from uh, Salvini, who was the head of the Liga, Liga, one of the um, deputy prime ministers, Ministers, he uh, he's saying he's still suggesting that 2.4 percent is the target, and they will find ways to ensure that that is uh, the target that they hit come the end of 2019. So this is going to be a key focal point for uh, investors next week. From a purely data perspective, we're back on the UK. We've got things like unemployment data, we've got retail sales, we've got inflation data next week, and we may even have, I think, the inflation report hearing next later on next week as well, following the release of the inflation report uh, for, uh, uh, from the Bank of England a couple of weeks ago. So again, very UK-centric week, but there is also an eye to Italy as well. I can't emphasize uh, the focus of the, the, the battle between Rome and Brussels. That is going to be you know taking center stage. And as Craig mentioned, Tuesday is the big day for Italy to submit no change which is everyone has is expecting and uh, i believe it was uh, the economic minister tria that mentioned that they're committing to respecting that maximum deficit of 2.4 percent for 2019 and then the the following week we have the on the 21st on wednesday that's when the european commission comes out with their opinion on all the eu budgets and that's going to be the key day for finding out whether or not they announce uh, the the edp the excessive deficit procedure which Basically, is just a, a lengthy process, giving Italy some time to to uh, address why they're not changing it and give them the opportunity to change it. And then, when they don't do that, um, which pr- pretty much is what we're expecting, uh, then they'll have uh, six months to make changes. And then, if they don't do that, there's a mediation and then ultimately sanctions. So, this budget story is not going to go away anytime soon. So that that's going to take centerfold. Uh, uh, taking a look at the U.S on the the week ahead uh, lots of key data cpi empire state manufacturing index and then also retail sales all key figures on the u.s economy um over the next couple months we're going to be waiting to see if we start to see some softening of of, of data so that'll be what i'll be looking at next week okay ed moyer in new york and craig Earlham in london thanks for joining us today thank you for having me thank you well, you've been listening to the Oanda Market Insights podcast. We're back, of course, next week. Don't forget, we're available on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. Have a very good weekend.
was the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.